Well, what a joy it is to be here. Um, you know, the last time I preached here, I realized 33 years ago, I was on crutches. <laughs> I, uh, I sprained my ankle badly playing soccer, and uh, I remember preaching uh, uh, sitting down, actually. So it was, uh, this, is, this is brings back memories of being here. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a church that we, I've been praying about, and uh, we as a diocese have been praying for for a very long time. Keith Ganser, who was your rector at one time, uh, worked with me as curate at the, at the church I was at, St. John's, Vancouver, and I knew him well. We would pray for you guys then. Uh, I know Glenn Taylor because he was my Old Testament professor many years ago as well, and what a blessing that he was able to minister during this interim time of two years and faithfully preach and lead. Very thankful for his ministry, and now I'm very thankful for Benjamin being your rector and for Leah, your deacon as well, uh, coming all the way from down south in the United States, having to learn a new culture and a new language maybe, uh, and, um, and be in a completely new city with your children. So what a blessing to us that you've come up here and made that sacrifice to come. And uh, hanging out at the border for six hours, uh, figuring out whether they'll let you in here. So I'm glad they finally did. Um, so it is a joy to commission you uh, into this new ministry. And when we are doing this, it's interesting that Psalm 133 that you heard is always chosen as one of the Psalms for this service of institution. Why is that? Well, if you think of the greatest gift that you, the church, have, what would you tell me that is? And you don't have to shout it out. Uh, David's given an answer. <laughs> he says, unity is the most precious gift um, that God gives. One of the most precious things that we have as a church, most valuable, is unity. The unity of God's people, uh, David says, is the wonderful gift from God. It is precious. And I think the reason for that, for David saying that, is because the gospel itself is about unity with the Lord Jesus. It is about becoming uh, uh, part of the family of God, people who are God's own forever, and that our life together reflects that unity that you and I have with the Lord Jesus as his people. Uh, and so David, David sings this joyful song about unity, and he writes about what he thinks of the people who are gathered uh, as they're going up to Jerusalem. They're, they're ascending, they're going up the elevation into Jerusalem, and he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And by the way, uh, it'll help to follow along. This is a very short psalm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it'd be a super short sermon, but it is a short psalm. You can find it, I think, on page three in your bulletin or in your Bible, Psalm 3. And in the original, <clears throat> that word brothers means all the tribes of Israel together, men and women, boys and girls. And that phrase dwelling in unity literally means when they are really together. Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people with all their differences in real life are really together. And that's what God's people sang as they journeyed up to the Jer Jerusalem three times a year from sometimes very far away, all over the surrounding countryside. 
And I love that they're saying this because there were lots of reasons for them not to be really together. You know, as they're coming up, they might be coming up for days uh, on a trip. There would be family tensions. How many of you have been on a road trip with your family, with children? Um, tensions tend to boil over. It's a test of your unity as a family. Uh, they would be competing for a place to stay with other families as well. And they'd be trying to find water for their, uh, for their burrows or whatever it is that they're bringing with them as well, uh, and for themselves. And all of that can cause division. Well, what we see here is that David isn't saying all of these people had the same opinion. They all got along super well. Uh, they had a placid existence with no tensions or no quarrels. Oh, it means that they all had the same purpose. They were united in their goal. And that was to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and to love their neighbor as themselves. And their one commitment together as they're going up to Jerusalem is to go to the place where God comes to earth, where heaven and earth meet in the temple, and there they worship God, whom they um, live for as they love him with all their heart, mind, and soul, and love their neighbor as themselves. Um, they had a common purpose that brought a commitment through all of their differences. And so they persevered, even when they were tempted to be pulled apart and separated. So the psalm speaks to us today, to you as a congregation, because there's many reasons for you not to persevere. There's reasons for you to be kind of pulled apart from each other. You might not have been so enthusiastic about coming to church this afternoon. Uh, you may have had other things in mind. You may have papers that you're writing. You're preparing for exams. Uh, perhaps um, you were stressed and rushing to get here. Maybe your children, wonderful to see them here, but maybe they were not cooperating as you were thinking about coming here. Uh, maybe you could have just relaxed a bit longer through your day, gone for a walk or done whatever you wanted to do. Or maybe you were going through some hard times. You didn't want to face people this afternoon. Or maybe perhaps there is a disagreement now that you have, an irritation with someone at church. You see, there's lots of things that can really keep us from gathering and really being together. In one way, it's, it's kind of amazing that we're all here together. But David says in Psalm 133 that it is well worth it, that this gathering and all the other smaller gatherings of the church are actually a physical expression, like an embodiment of the togetherness, the unity that God gives to you with one another and the unity that you have with the Lord Jesus as well. It's a unity that all comes to us from Jesus Christ by his forgiveness of sins, by that gospel that's at the heart of our life together. It is a precious gift from above. Now, I want you to notice something about this short psalm. <clears throat> there are three action words, the same word that's repeated three times over and over and over. Unity is like oil that runs down on the beard, that runs down to the collar. 
It is like dew of Hebron that falls, the same word, like to run down, on Mount Zion. So David is saying that our unity, our togetherness, is a grace that pours down on us extravagantly. It's God's gift of grace. Uh, Jesus has entered your life. He has made himself and his love real to you by his death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and his rising again in power to adopt us as God's own forever. You love him because he has loved you abundantly. There is this grace that is falling upon us. Romans 5, 5 says, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, there is an extraordinary change that happens to you as you receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you immediately enter the people of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, began to believe in him, you entered into this unity of people that's God's own. And you know the pictures from the Bible, several pictures of this gathering today. One is a picture of the family of God into which through Jesus, you have been adopted by grace. You immediately uh, experience unity, love, and mutual support within the Christian community as a real family does. And secondly, the Bible talks about a body, the body of Christ, in which you are an integral part. You are needed. And that body is such a powerful, powerful picture of unity together. And thirdly, there is the temple of the Holy Spirit that God is building. And you, again, are a necessary stone that God is shaping. But the unity is that there is one temple that God is making you into. It's filled with the same Holy Spirit that indwells each of you. And then finally, you know, another picture is the bride of Christ. It's a picture of the closest family relationship that we can possibly have in marriage. So you see, all those images of this church are images of people really together, of un being united together, that love one another without exception because they have been united to the Lord Jesus, even with all of those things that are differences among us. Um, we all have this in common, this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And not only that, we have this common goal to make that good news made known to others in this life because God himself has given that to us as a gift to make him known to other people as a light that is in darkness, as a light that will never ever be extinguished because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Psalm 133 says, rejoice in this gift, it's God's purpose for his people. It is good and it is pleasant. And so David gives two precious commodities to show us why this gift of unity is so precious. And, uh, and I want to, um, uh, my sermon will end with those two pictures. And I want us to have that very much in our minds as we think of this psalm. The two pictures are of oil and of water. Oil and water. 
uh, and both of them are pressed in that society in that time. First oil, um, ordination oil is what David is talking about here. And you know there's a recipe for ordination oil in the Bible. If you were to turn to it, you would see this. I have the exact recipe here with the ingredients. 12 and a half pounds of myrrh, which is a sweet sap. It's very, very expensive. Uh, six and a quarter pounds of sweet cane. And we know what that sweetness is. It's an aromatic reed. And then there's six and a quarter pounds of sweet cinnamon. And finally, there's 12 and a half pounds of cassia, which is a bark that is like cinnamon, but stronger. So they're very, very expensive ingredients. Uh, as you can imagine, this, there was a strong, beautiful scent that came from it. It's costly. If you added it up, math majors here, 50 pounds. 50 pounds of oil. Uh, it's all spices that are mixed with the oil. So David sings in verse 2 that that costly oil permeates everything. He says this, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. So you see, unity is like oil flowing gently into every hair of Aaron, not just his head, but his very full beard. And I'm very glad to see that Ben has a beard as well. And you also have a collar as well. So this is a very good uh, illustration. If somebody wants to come up and pour some oil on him, you'll see that. Um, it's, it's saying that this is a good, this is an incredibly precious gift that affects all the parts of our life, even into the unexpected places. This is what unity does. Um, when I was reading this and thinking about this aromatic oil, how it affects everything, I thought of a synod about five years ago. At the synod, which is our annual meeting, we always get oil that has been blessed and we use it for healing, we use it for um, confirmations and for baptism. It's, uh, it smells very nice, but it's very strong. And at one synod, I got my oil for our church and I put it in my computer case and I brought it on the plane with me. And guess what I didn't do properly? I did not tighten the top very well. So um, as we were flying, I smelled this beautiful, beautiful aroma starting to fill the plane around me. And uh, by the time I figured out the problem, I thought that smells like that oil that we use. <laughs> it was a little too late. My bag was soaked with oil. And uh, I have to say that for weeks afterwards, when I took my laptop case wherever I went, I could smell that beautiful scent wherever I went. Uh, whether it was in the office or the car, going to church at the coffee shop, the aroma followed me and it really did affect just about every aspect of my life. That's the picture that David is giving to us. Your unity with other Christians is like that fragrant oil. It brings a goodness that affects every part of your life, your family, your friends, your church life, your work life. Uh, and, and how does this happen? It's because in our unity, there is a commitment to one another and there is a context of being in relationship with God that shapes you and affects everything about you. 
So in this church, people pray for you in your life, in whatever you are doing. People are praying for you. They are holding you accountable in the things that you do, in the things that you say. They help you in the depths of the things that you may go through, the darknesses of life. They encourage you in your faith and to persevere in your life following the Lord Jesus. They strengthen you by their testimony. One of the great things that encourages me in life is to hear how God is working in somebody's life. And I see that when I visit churches, a different church every week. I see God's work in individual people's lives strengthens me. Uh, and then finally, your fundamental identity in everything you do, in all the aspects of your life, is a daughter or a son of God the Father because you are united to the Lord Jesus. It is your fundamental identity. It is the fragrance, the aroma of Christ because you are united to him and therefore you, united to one another. And um, the gift of that unity is not just for you, it is also for those who are outside the church, in the world around you. That oil, as I said, that Aaron was using was the oil of priests. And priests were meant to represent God to the people. Uh, it is, their purpose is to, is to bring God into the world, to deeply bless the world by helping them to know God. And that is your role as a royal priesthood, those who are called, ordained by God to be his people in the world, if you are a royal priesthood, you are helping others to know Jesus, our great high priest, and to know the joy of the forgiveness of sins, to be welcomed into this people of God by that forgiveness. It is the work of being priests. That unity that you have affects those in your life, outside the church. And that's why Jesus said in that incredible prayer that we get to listen into on John 17, he said, I ask that they, meaning each of you and me, may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that Jesus is sent by God himself. So you see, Jesus prays for oneness for us for the sake of the world, so it can know God. So our love for God, our obedience together, our love for each other makes the gospel clear to a hurting world around us so that they can know God. And I think there is, a, there is an attractiveness about a togetherness in the Lord Jesus as well that people see from the outside. It reflects the truth of God who is perfectly united father son and holy spirit and your welcome mirrors the welcome of jesus that he has for us i love the vision of see i like your website i check out websites right before i come i like your website because it's really clear and uh it's conversational and it tells you about who you are and it tells about the gospel as well and one of the things you say there about who you are is that you um, will epitomize well what being the church in downtown Toronto means. Helping each other 
mature spiritually as brothers and sisters in God's family and representing God well to those who have yet to know him. You are representing God well to those who have yet to know him. You want the world, the people outside the church to see the life God has given to you together and to share it. Our precious unity is valuable for your mission. It reflects the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, the second picture is not only of oil, but it is of water. And, and David chooses this because water is the most precious commodity in the Middle East. Uh, David in verse 3 says, Togetherness is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, my, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain uh, around Lebanon and Syria, just to the north of Israel. And although it's in the middle of an extremely dry climate, there's a lot of moisture that collects there because of the heights. And so the dews are very heavy. I've been there um, five years ago, and it was in June. Not a good time to go to Israel. It's very, very hot. But the Golan Heights have green grass, and there's all these pictures of skiers and snowmen and things like that. Well, it's because it's a ski resort up there in the wintertime, which I was amazed by. But there are beautiful wildflowers and green fields. And David says, imagine that the heavy dew that falls gently on um, that mountain also falls on Jerusalem, where God's people are. And he says, like that dew, real togetherness brings growth. It brings a flourishing in who you are as a person. It brings renewal into your lives as people of God. That's his point. And it's very easy for us to take this precious gift for granted, but we cannot grow, you cannot flourish as a Christian without the Christian family, without the unity with one another that God gives. If you're not really together, you will become spiritually dry and lifeless. You will be like the desert that David saw without that dew. And there's a great temptation for us in our busy life to forget how vital it is to your life and to your growth that you have a togetherness with brothers and sisters in Christ. There's many substitutes to being in church or in small groups. There's many pressures to neglect being involved in the life of God's family. And that's from the very beginning of the church. That's why Paul says, don't neglect meeting together. There's many pressures. But we simply cannot grow and flourish in our relationship with God without the togetherness of Psalm 133. Embrace that togetherness, David is saying. Rejoice in it. Physically place yourself under God's grace by gathering together. It will be a blessing, he's saying. Now, um, there's an illustration I thought of when I was going through this because the Christian life is like a race. And often uh, we hear about this in the New Testament particularly. And one of the races I like to watch, I'm not a big fan of watching on television uh, bikes racing, but there's something about the Tour de France that I love to watch. So I actually watch it every year. And um, the thing that's amazing is the extent to which those cyclists go to finish. And especially in the parts where they go over the Pyrenees, the very high mountains, uh, it is just, I don't know how they do it. It must kill them. 
Uh, one of the winners of the Tour de France a number of years ago, his name was Chris Froome, he said this, listen to this quote, I wrote it down, I thought this is, he said this, he said, there was a moment as he was going up the mountain that I felt this could go the other way. I am in difficulty, not going to make it. I was on my absolute limits. I felt like I was dying a thousand deaths up that mountain. But he said, being with teammates make it a lot more manageable. And I thought, this is a picture of the race of the Christian life. We are all individuals. We are running this race to the finish, which is Jesus Christ himself, who will one day come for us in all glory. But you and I cannot flourish. We cannot even finish the Christian race without real togetherness. We need each other. We each face these kinds of mountains that are great challenges to our faith. But bringing brother, being brothers and sisters in Christ together is the way to flourish. It is the way to be refreshed, to be strengthened, and to grow in your life. And there's many ways that that happens. It happens by your prayers for each other. God help my friend, my family member, uh, my colleague to grow. It's by our example of life, our example of persevering. It's by our sharing of God's word with each other. It's by serving him together in this world. You will flourish in that. There's many times it's just the physical presence of other Christians that is the greatest encouragement. We spur each other on. And so I end with the wonderful way that the psalm ends by saying that as you walk in that way of unity, you're actually walking and experiencing eternal life. You're actually beginning to experience the life of heaven. Look at verse 3. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, there meaning the place of unity, life forevermore. That is where it is. It's in unity. Unity has an eternal quality. We begin to experience the life of the new heaven and the new earth in your togetherness. The life to come is a life where you will walk together. You will live life in the very presence united with the Lord Jesus, who loves us and has given himself for us. We will be his people, and he will be our God. And in this life of unity, we will be continually refreshed, always growing, always serving one another joyfully, the adventure of worshiping God and the way that we live for one another. It's the adventure of being loved and loving in ways we cannot imagine. It is indeed the precious gift that begins now in our life of unity. May God give you as the church of Christ the King that unity now. By the grace of Jesus in the power of the Spirit, don't neglect meeting together. Seek to build one another up, all for the glory of the Lord Jesus, who died for you to make you one in him forever. Amen.